I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to this week's edition of The Nero Show, your home of unfiltered cycling chat. In today's episode, China Cycling is at the Shanghai Bike Show and we are really excited about what he's got to offer. Scott released a new plasma time trial bike and how does the old Scott Foil stack up against the new why one? Why isn't Kit cool anymore? Are we just fed up with that chat? And why are we seeing so many crashes so far at the Giro this year? All right, let's get into it. China Cycling, Jesse. Joe was at the Shanghai Bike Show during the week and i just want to say probably the only bike trade show videos that i think i have watched from beginning to end i've watched every single day of them and i was almost i was literally logging onto youtube every day genuinely excited to see what joe was going to show us the following week anything mm-hmm. you got a similar impression it's from very it? similar thing more yeah. because there's so many brands have never seen and that's the main. I don't want to go and see what the what the giant is. It's like I don't care. But this is just like a whole other world of gear chat. It just felt like, and there was just like energy and excitement from all the kind of booths. And you're like, what's the next one? What's the next one? So, all right, let's let's get into some of these because I want to talk about a little bit of them. Yep. Firstly, the one I think that blew up on YouTube was that, and he he did it very well. It was the first part of his video. It was that Sava um, one yeah. with the the kind of split fork hole <laughs> kind of night rider setup, which looked amazing. And he was kind of saying, you know, turn up to the coffee shop and this, and you'll sort of blow your motor away. hundred percent agree. Um, 7.4 kilos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know how. <laughs> you, you, you've added three whole features to the bike. Yep. And yet it's basically the same weight as my Nero bike. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I also don't know how you change the handlebars on that because it, it looks like it's just the fork and the handlebars one thing. So I don't know the practicalities of it, but it looked sick. looked yeah. amazing. And it kind of came back to that thing of like you were you were looking at stuff that looked like it was from the future, it looked like stuff from, from another planet. So super, super cool. A couple of other ones I did want to, um, to mention was the Cybray stuff, which was – Look, there seem to be quite a few of these brands that I've never heard of that were doing carbon cranks. They're all doing wheel sets. They're all doing bottom brackets. Yeah. Some of them are integrating power meters into their stuff, like Machine and now got power meters in there. Um, I, I just, I was super excited to see a lot of new products that was potentially going to kind of change the... The wheel sets. Mm. What the fuck? How many sets of wheels do we need? Honestly, it's just like... A brand starts up and they're making wheel sets. It's almost a joke. Yep. It's like there's so many to pick from. And they've all got carbon spokes. Seemingly everyone yeah. just does carbon spokes yeah. now. Yeah. So yeah. it's good. It's just like almost too much now. Just, just too much choice. It's crazy. Um, you got any specific other things to talk about from, from there? Yeah. Or? Oh, the brand, the one that stood out to me was the Bros. He showed it. It was kind of funny. He showed it on the first day and just showed the brand, and the bikes looked sick. So he, had the, the Bros had this aero bike here, uh, looks like a Scott foil to me. <laughs> um, but I'm looking at that like that looks like if Specialized came out with a bike that looked like that, I'd be like, cool, that looks pretty fast. And it was also just because the brand popped out of nowhere, and then the next day. Uh, Joe showed the stand and then on the other side of the stand, it's Cube. Yes. So yep. it's like, is it a domestic Chinese version of Cube or is it a new startup from Cube doing different 
you know, higher spec or lower spec. It's just like question question marks everywhere. Question mark. That's, that's, that's cool. That was awesome. Like any anytime you're coming away from these things, the question marks is a good thing. The only other product I wanted to mention was the magnesium bike. Like f- for for me, I could totally get around that. Like that that really interests me. Like that's a it's a really dense um, metal. Mm-hmm. Um, is it I flammable? Well, <laughs> I was kind magnesium of consi- shavings from your disc brakes. Indeed, and I wasn't <laughs> wondering whether that would assist in sort of like cramp negotiation <laughs> or anything like that. Would sort of <laughs> if you're cramping, you through your shave body. a bit off the bottom bracket. I, I don't know. I just kind of looked at that and was like, shit, like. Cool. That's something I never would have thought about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So big fan of that. But you brought up um, so there's a few kind of things I think we could talk about here and, and where to take it. But the first thing was the domestic Chinese market. Yeah. Yeah. So because <sighs> he references this a few times. Yep. Oh, this might just be for the domestic Chinese market. This might just, some of them wind space stuff. I think. Oh, this might just be for the domestic Chinese market now. Obviously, this is us with our very insular Anglo-English-speaking lens on. I didn't realise the domestic road scene was that big in China. Neither did I. No idea. Nothing. I mean, we I, the, the, we got to get Joe on here. There's so, I've got so many questions. So I'll try and get him on just to chat through it with him. But... Yeah, you know, he's you know this brand is come out they're only available to the domestic market. They might look at going to the Western countries, and just how big? What is this Chinese market? How big is it? You got these brands existing only selling there. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. I know, like the the obvious take on this will be, you know, how many is it? two two billion? Yeah, in China, you don't need a large oh the population, population one and a half billion one and a half yeah. billion. Yeah, you don't need a large percentage of that yeah. to make a very big Chinese market. Mm. I, I understand that, but yeah, again, I, I kind of thought that was that was pretty interesting. Is this is that mostly because the Chinese social media is stuff we don't use? They have a whole other, essentially, internet of social media which we don't use, so we never see the Chinese Grand Fondo or the Chinese local Crit. I mean, I'm sure they must exist if they're yep. selling road bikes, yep. but they're on WeChat or whatever apps they use, and it's just another world we don't even know exists yep, 100 to- totally think that's that's one of the reasons we it's not sort of being presented because Do they, they don't use youtube either there's no chinese isn't because they don't use the google apps correct so they would have a different version of youtube which yep. we wouldn't have and you to. don't see we haven't seen many sort of chinese riders in the european racing scene i mean mm. we tried to get to a couple of chinese races when we were, were conti but obviously covid got in the way that's so we know the racing exists up there mm. um but that was so. like one of the what they called the fourth grand tour back in the day tour of king high lake in in china it was apparently very well lots of prize money Vol- vaults apparently of money vaults of that was a thing it was oh we left and you know we had so much cash we had to spread it around and stuff it in our bags cuz we had uh, so much prize money after the race they just opened the vault and we went in and just took filled our <laughs> pockets remember that chat yeah. that's that's the most niche bubble chat you've ever heard but yes there shout. must have been a shred of truth to there which wouldn't surprise me that they're paying big prize money but yeah there's a race i never did but would have been cool to do but yeah essentially there is road racing scene over there yep Definitely. Okay, so the other sort of way I wanted to take this chat about about this stuff is I feel like right now we're, enter, we're entering a new age, Jesse. Mm-hmm. We're entering a the, the second sort of coming of these brands. Now, we've, we've all experienced them. We've all sort of dabbled a bit in them, but it's mostly been like a direct via the internet. You've kind of taken a punt on a dodgy photo of a wheel set We've all done it. Fast sports, you name them. We've we've mostly tried them, and that's been that's been the English speaking experience of those brands up until now. And you've almost like you've taken a punt because it's maybe a third or half the price of <laughs> the the regular brand, and it's turned up maybe seven months later, and you've ridden it and whatever. That's been your experience of it. I feel like now we're entering a new phase of that, and this is potentially a chat for Joe and or Grant, but. I feel like now we're in a phase where they're not only they're becoming more relevant, they're becoming more authentic mm. um, and just genuine competition. And I think a lot of that's going to come down to the way those brands are going to be presented to us. So one of the examples of that is 
there's a, a, com- a bike shop online retailer here in Australia, Cash, who are one of the one of the brands that are setting up relationships with these companies in China, direct relationships with these in China, mm-hmm. taking a punt on them. So, for example, um, Sugiai, I think it is. Yep. Yep. The, yeah, yep. the power meter one. Mm-hmm. You know, buying up a heap of those, bringing them out to Australia, mm. and we're entering the phase where you're going to buy that brand from the quote-unquote local distributor online retailer. This scares me. Mm-hmm. This scares mm-hmm. me to the core. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because – You're going to see some markups. Yeah, I fucking hate markup. That, the, whole, like, <laughs> the whole reason why we love these brands is because you get them for cheaper. When you have a Western business like Cash – they're businessmen, they're looking to make money and they're seeing an opportunity there and it is an opportunity to come over. They sell exclusive rights to sell that product. You can no longer buy it directly from the manufacturer and now we're paying, instead of half the price, we're now paying three quarters of the price of a similar already established product, which is still cheaper, but it's 2023. I can, re- I can buy something from China and get it in four days if they FedEx ship it. I don't need the distributor. Now, obviously, that comes with the warranties and things like that, and which it's an argument there. I just I would hate to see most of the brands go down that route of selling through distributors, and then you're losing the whole entire point of doing that in the first place, which was to get good value products. And it's it's just oh, I don't know. <laughs> I got I kind of got I totally hear you. Yeah, I do have a my okay. So my pushback on that is sort of twofold. That I don't think it's going to be distributors. It's not going to be. I'm not going to name distributors in Australia, but that sort of real old school just middleman who is who then buys up a heap of shipment and then pushes it out to the to the retailers from there. I don't think it's going to be those people. I think it's the online local retailers who will be the the quote-unquote distributors of of those brands. So potentially there you are, you're not going to inflate the cost as much because that pure middleman always loves to take money for it. And the second part is, okay, the warranty thing. All right. So for, for these brands to actually cut through, Mm-hmm. They they do need to get beyond the if you know you know people the us they need to get to the that next wave of person who's who's who needs a little bit more confidence when mm. they buy it and they yeah. see the the sugi eye and it's at cash dot com it's not at sugi dot cc or whatever it might be I do feel and that's got to be a good thing for us because the more people that start buying these the more relevant these products become the more fucking pressure gets on the bullshit like mainstream brands that are that are screwing us for for power meters and all the rest of it at the moment so i totally hear you um and the other any other kind of thing is like those local distributors are taking a punt on these brands as well Mm. you know like there is there is a bit of that can i get another frustration i i get that the Mm. other frustration i have is that so? I've used fast sports wheels since the yep. 2015, bef- like when they were didn't have a name, no one knew who they were. I was, you know, I was I was pretty cool, you know, pretty first first in there. Anyway, um, like I was laughed at, you know, for using that. It's like, oh, that's a that's risky by people that work in bike shops and that people are in the industry. They would they would almost purposefully go, oh, he's oh fast sports, oh no, it's a, it's you know look down on those brands because it wasn't what they, what they sold. And it was almost like, well, if we can keep this like illusion that it's all crap quality and doesn't work, we can then make our product stand out. And now the coin's starting to flip and they're starting to go to those Chinese brands, Taiwanese brands to use them and then sell them. And now it's suddenly like, oh, suddenly you're getting back behind this cheaper brand when you were the guy laughing at me for using Fastboards five years ago. And it's the same people that work in these shops mm. and that work in the industry that are now trying to make money off. I hear you. Money off it. Yeah. I hear you. Which Mo- I don't know if I have a point. Mm. It's just the frustration. I can only talk about the experience of, of dealing a little bit with with Case in particular. Those guys weren't in the industry five years ago. Their almost their rationale for coming into the industry was exactly that: was that they 
saw a, a gap to try and get these these one of the reasons they got into the industry was to try and get that sort of thing in. That that mm. mentality, hundred percent agree with you. Totally, totally exists, and it's kind of disgusting now that they'll try and flip it and then and, and make a buck off it. I will also say, you talk about the quality of the stuff. Five years ago, it was kind of dodgy. Ten years ago, it was kind of dodgy. I do feel like that has started to settle. Um, Depends. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it really, I mean, to, to, to general, even just to generalise that is pretty. It depends what, I mean, the electronics were, the power meters were, they were well, mm. if I'm on the top of my head watching Shane Miller's videos five years ago, there wasn't really any Chinese power meter that was accurate. Mm. So yes, I in the electronic space, yes, I think uh, the wheel sets have been just as good for since I've been That's cycling. A fair point. But yep. frames, jury's out there, especially with that elves thing. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah. So the way that some of these relationships seem to to get set up is uh, they might have an English speaking person as a man on the ground in in China actually sort of at the trade shows. Yep, like going maintaining around. those yep. relationships, setting up those relationships. So in the case of Keish, they have quite a few sort of Mandarin speakers who work there, so they're able to set the relationships up from here, but mm-hmm. you know have a bit of bit of an in in from from that perspective. It's so that's I'm honestly like it's so fascinating to me. Is is it a force for good because we get access to more products with a backing, with confidence, or is it a force for bad because you're just making money off things that we could already purchase? And then it comes to that whole idea of these domestic, these brands that only sell to the domestic Chinese market. If this is like a gateway to get access to all of those, then it's like, you know, that's, that could be really good. I think I that's the point, see. Jesse. Yeah. But for me, the, the brief conversations I had with them is like these Chinese brands, like the amount that they're purchasing to bring out to Australia is like a drop in the like Pacific Ocean in terms of what they're actually doing. So they almost don't care. So mm. for us, it is a good thing, I do think, because there, there is therefore at least that brand coming out and the chance of more of these brands coming out where because most of them don't care. The numbers, the, econ- the economy of it doesn't add up for most of these brands. So do these brands have a marketing budget then? That's a good question. Because how are they – okay, so, you know – if we run this example, so Cache buy a SIGAE power meter, mm. a SIGAE actually marketing the products, or are they just manufacturing them and then it's and then we are just buying them? I mean, I don't. I wonder what if they advertise domestically in China. Well, I think that's almost why this content works so well on YouTube, because to, for me, like this is how I experience all these brands. Mm. You know, they're not you know, pushing out influencers on Instagram to me or world tour teams. Mm. They're purely, it's almost like a, a really good case study of, of how influential YouTube can be. And because you, you look, you've, we've talked about, we've talked about obviously China cycling. We've talked about the guy in the UK now um, whose name. Trace Fellow. Trace Fellow. Yep. Who's, who's doing some great stuff. And even like Francis's stuff with the, the Chinese sort of budget brands, I think I think that's potentially their market. It potentially is. So one of the questions I have, and Joe might be able to help out here, is like how much money is there actually to be made without going through the regular marketing channels? Like Winspace, for example, probably the poster child of the internet brand, influencer marketing, that sort of thing. Are they making real, is it a real slice of the pie or is it just essentially small to medium-sized business that is able to be sustainable. Great question. Like, yeah. is, are they competing with uh, what's a wheel brand that's sort of in the world? Are they competing with like an Envy? Yeah. Are they competing with a lightweight or a Princeton carbon? Like I'd love to know is that real? Is there real cash there or is it just sort of keeping afloat? Because if it is, then that's a, I mean, when all these other brands get on a similar level. Just on that, on the marketing stuff, right? I found I really enjoyed that chat with Jeff. Really enjoyed it, and his his discussion about Canada, okay, yep. and that event and all that kind of stuff, and that that part where he was talking about the the guys who the the other sort of media people that were out there, and he was kind of, you know, they were on essentially like this sort of junket, the the legacy media people. So and so, how many drinks did he have at the? At the Marita launch last week, you know. So they had like, so 
about 20 sort of legacy media people kind of there. So can I just, is, is saying, is even calling them legacy media, yeah. are we being rude? I don't know. Is that rude? Is that a, <laughs> is that a uh, derogatory Traditional. Term? Should we go traditional? traditional? Sorry. Let's traditional, traditional. traditional media yeah. sort of person. Okay. And I look at like what that would have cost. Can- now, I don't want to point out Canada because Canada, from my perspective, did a really cool thing. They got some YouTubers who yep. are relevant to me and, and most of us. To, to that event. So fair play to them, great stuff. But then there's all these other people and they were all there to write spec pieces on, on this product. And I just think about how much money would have been spent at that event, that marketing budget for that particular event, get all these people in, have this event, send them all back to write their articles that appear behind paywalls and are essentially specs rundowns that aren't sort of, I don't think, moving the needle. They're just almost like going through the motions of, of doing it. Mm. And I compare that to the, the chat that we were having there about Winspace and you're saying like, what's their marketing? Like how are they sort of doing it? Well, we're talking about the product and maybe they're laughing at it going, well, we don't have to fly all these <clears throat> people in. I don't know why I keep doing that. I've got to find a word for it. Um, traditional media people in. Why does it pain you to call them journalists? <laughs> Is it because they're just writing? I'm not going down this rant, Jesse. Okay, sorry. I'm not going to go down this rant. If you're, if you're going to sit behind a paywall or have your advertising sell your product that you're pushing out that is essentially a specs review and then call it and then sit around and beg for money... <laughs> That's oh, I another route <laughs> to discuss, but yeah, I am kind. I am on the same page with you on that, but the question is, we don't have the dollars for WinSpace yet. We don't. Know, we don't know how much money these brands are making, so we might think they're doing really well because we see them all over YouTube and Instagram. But until mm, we know how many units fake, they're yeah. selling, it yeah. might not actually make that we be really working that well. You know, maybe these leg the. Like legacy brands, I guess to call them the established brands, maybe they're doing that because it works. So, I mean, on the face of it, it appears like it seems a bit of a interesting choice, waste of money, potentially not the best use of funds. But until you really see numbers, we'd just be kind of speculating. I mean, because the other thing as well, when a bike gets released, to me, maybe that I'm a bit of more old school, but like the cycling tips review, when that comes up on my Facebook feed, that is the bike's been released. For some people, maybe newer people to the industry, it's when that sits on their YouTube homepage from another Yeah, so for channel. me it's a Dave Arthur. It's a da- yeah, maybe yeah. that's the mm, bike's new. But whereas for me, it's still that article I see, whether I read it or not, when I see that really nice photo of it in the headline, to me that's the bike's out. And that's probably flipping for the more YouTube. But see, you audience. could just do that with a press release. Like just, just a press release, you know. Trek have launched their new Amonda. Here's the specs on it's faster, stiffer, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, cool. You, it's, pro- it's still going to, yeah, especially with the, all the algorithm-based social media, that's going to come into the top of my Twitter probably regardless of who's released, whether that's Cycling Tips or it's Cannondale that release it and a 1,000 people like the tweet. It's going to be at the top of my homepage anyway. So you've probably got a point. Um it's just that, yeah, when I'm not a marketing expert, so maybe, mm. you know, we could be wrong. Mm. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there'd be people out there that could, you know, model this. I'm guessing there's modeling. They surely, are they doing modeling for this stuff or is it just a total, I think that works? I am 100% biased. I know that. And a lot of it, I think, comes from the fact that I was that person. I was definitely the read the article, cycling tipsy sort of person and that was when the bike – and probably five years ago I completely shifted the way that I consume all this sort of stuff. Mm. And so I know – and now we create stuff here on the platform itself. So I know I'm biased about it. Mm. But it's been quite interesting like having a few people reach out who have worked in mainstream brands, mostly American sort of brands, and just to talk to me a little bit about the way some of the brands operate, it's – it's still very traditional and mm. it's not changing anytime soon. I, I do know it was it was almost a first for Cannondale to have YouTubers at that event. Like I feel like I kind of have to go into 
bat. I do feel it. Yeah, I feel like I have to go into bat for for YouTube sometimes with the mainstream stuff because it gets overlooked. Whereas the flip side is these Chinese brands are fully embracing, mm. fully embracing it. Um, I'm I'm there with you. The thing again, just just to reiterate my point is just because I'm a numbers guy. If 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 WinSpace released the books and showed the brands how much they're spending on marketing and their profits, I it would. I'm guessing it would turn heads. Yeah. But until we see some numbers on it, it's it's hard to really know. But yeah, uh, I, I think yeah the numbers would, would be showing that. Yeah, that's assume. good. That's good. That's a good chat, man. Enjoyed that. So let us let us know your thoughts. Are we are we at the the new phase of the the Chinese brands? Are we going to get a new wave of it? We're we going to consume them in a in a new way. Let us know down below. So for those of you on YouTube, uh, we've had a little wardrobe change <laughs> and a season change here. <laughs> Jesse's gone back. We haven't button. invested in air conditioning in the studio yet. New Scott Plasma time trial bike released recently. Pretty cool. I watched the Charlie Carbs and Cycling seven-minute overview on it. He chatted through it. He had some good points. Um, first one, it looks like the Scott Foil road bike just with – Handlebars on it, aero hmm. extensions. So if you've someone that's bought the Scott Foil, you're probably pretty happy that their full-on new time trial rig is essentially all the same tube shapes. Oh yeah, there it is. Yeah, there, yeah. Okay. So that was that was really usually the different the road and the TT bikes look totally different. So I think Scott are definitely on onto something. Um, so I thought that was that was pretty interesting. The other thing that just gets me with this is so. This is their UCI compliant time trial bike. They have a totally different triathlon right. non-UCI okay. bike. Okay, okay. Yeah. Right. Which is looks like a <laughs> makes the time trial bike look like a joke because the TT the triathlon bike is like a spaceship, mm-hmm. totally more advanced. And I'm kind of looking at this going, what's in it for Scott to invest all money doing R&D? To release a UCI compliant time trial bike, who's buying this thing? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Just I'm just sort of navigating their website at the moment and yep. trying to actually find. So they've got you know, if you go into bikes, they've got mountain, road, gravel, city, women's, kids, frame sets, components, thin mm-hmm. road. Yep, well, that's interesting. Yep. So okay, so the under road, so you've got either the ah look at that, they're actually categorized in the same section. Mm-hmm. Foil RC and the Plasma right. are the two sort of aero bikes that, yep. that they offer for the road races. For the road for the road races, yep. and so how do I find how do I find the time trial bike? So I found it here. It's in the frame sets section. Oh, it's totally different. It's only a frame set. It looks like yes, yes, and it's from yeah, it's from a Marvel movie. Yes, yeah. holy shit! Right, yeah. okay, wow, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what you want. If you that's want, what you want. Yeah, yeah, that's what you want. So, yep. if you're a triathlete, yep. you what you that's what you want. Yeah, you got because you, oh, the other thing is you got all the hydration stuff. It's yep. like you buy a UCI time trial bike, you got to patch on all your bottle cages and hydration systems. You need that if you're doing a triathlon. So, who's buying this? You, <laughs> I honestly don't know, and it comes into the price as well. So, I'm looking at this going. They spent all this time building this bike, R and D. If they're, I don't know how how much they really bother uh, doing that, and you've got to charge for this, yeah. and it is expensive. So it's eight thousand euros for the frame set, but I don't, I don't mind. I mean, did you not selling that many? You got to justify the price to justify the the money to create the thing. I fair enough, eight thousand euros. My only slight pushback here is this potentially is a regional thing we don't have any road time trialing where we live i know in the uk it's a massive thing the old 10 mile time trial i mean i don't think it's a market that's massively moving the needle Mm. but it's definitely a big thing in the uk i'm not so sure in in the us it doesn't seem to be as big as big a thing but certainly in europe and the uk it exists a bit more Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're you're right. It's a, it's a funny one for a brand to fully invest in. No two ways about it. So just actually, interestingly, on the UK TT scene, the ten mile TT was broken uh, last week by George Fox. But it's the ten mile time trial on a road bike. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that 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 uh, British record was broken, 
He's on his road bike. He's averaged 52.1 kilometers an hour for about 20 minutes. Um, actually, so 19 minutes. But then again, looking at the bike, so it's an Argon 18 TT frame with drop bars and 80 mil wheels. It's hideous, this thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, can't, I, like, I like that, you know, the road bike time trial. Uh, he's broken the record there. The more we do this show, Jesse, I, I want to come back to Scott, but the more we do this show, I realised, like, across the world, how this sport is, it's almost kind of going to its own niches in its own air, in own world. Like that, a 10-mile road bike TT, that is never happening here. It's not a topic <laughs> of conversation that will ever come up anywhere. No. Um, the same in the US. I feel like that gravel scene is like going a different place to anywhere else in the world. It's like these whole new sports are sort of and the hill the hill climbing thing in mm. in the in the UK. There's this other sort of niche thing that's sort of taking everyone off into other little worlds. And we might sit here and I think we bagged the, the UK <laughs> hill climbing thing. Oh, uh, just we're, saying we didn't we're really just, care. Yeah, we're just laugh. laughing. Yeah, you know, having a bit of fun with it and just talking about it in general. But it's. It's kind of funny that all these little niche things are popping up that aren't relevant to to other people all over the world. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I just I just I do want to go into that with more detail, maybe with Vegan about the whole bloody lifetime Grand Prix thing and yeah, how that's just developed into a whole new just sport. The weird thing about these the UK time trials there's also is they're on the motorway. Yeah, they're on <laughs> the one lane of a eighty k an hour motorway. <laughs> So and then you cut, you take off, you go off the off ramp, loop around, you come back on. I'm like, wouldn't the times be influenced quite a lot by if you get a massive semi trailer haul past you at a hundred k an hour? It's just and it seems really dangerous. Yeah. I don't know. It's very to me as an Aussie, it's really bizarre thing, but like real cult following. And massive, man, I thought it was pretty cool. Massive cult following. I, yeah. Even the little little club stuff I was doing in in Ireland, like the ten mile time trial was like the leaderboard was huge like that was that was the chat yeah. absolutely the chat yeah and um, yeah so anyway just want to come back to scott okay because it's a it's a funny it's a brand we haven't really talked about very much and um, i i've always kind of liked it mm -hmm. uh, my first experience with scott was actually skiing like they're a big winter sports brand so i think they did sort of poles and skis and things anyway that that was my sort of first experience with them um, but the brand itself, so Swiss brand, um, majority owned, I think now by a Taiwanese company, majority of its production all in, in Taiwan, whatever, same sort of usual stuff. I've had a soft spot for the brand for a while. And to be honest, it's certainly a bike that I kind of considered for a while. Mm. But I do have, I have a mate who bought one. Now, interestingly, at least I thought this was interesting. He bought the 2022 model, so not the current one being ridden by the the DSM guys. It seems to have yeah. less of a kind of rear cutout. The previous, uh, the previous generation. Yeah, yeah I'll yep. flash up a picture yep. of it, right? Yeah, okay. Um, but bought it very recently, so yep. in the last month or two. So buys the previous year's bike. Mm-hmm. With the new one out at a reduced cost, so he okay. spent, I think I'm right in saying, around sort of nine thousand Australian dollars for it. Um, zips, zip wheels. Well, let's 11, do some let's do some shopping. Let's do yeah. some pricing then. So the current twelve one, speed di two speed. disc. Yeah. Okay, eleven k with Dura Ace. This is live. This is live action here. Okay, live chat. So the new the new version with Dura Ace is Australian. Fifteen thousand six hundred, mm -hmm. and the last year's one, the previous generation frame, he's got it for eleven. Yep. Okay. This. Oh, I don't know. I, I I just the interesting thing there is why Durace. That's the bit I don't get. So you're paying for last the previous generation frame, which you you're probably going to regret mm. when a bike when a brand does such a big update to the frame is such a hard sell. It's a really hard sell, especially. Like that, so that 2022 version, which he got priced, got a quote for uh, $11,000. Or you can buy the 2020, so that's with Dura Ace. Correct. And that's Dura Ace and Zip 303s. Or you can buy the 2023 version, which is the new frame, 
but with Altegra Di2 and with Syncros wheels for about the same price. I'm going the new frame with Altegra. Yeah. Definitely. This is this is the like it was only a couple of weeks ago we were saying like the you used to sort of prioritize the frame over the group set. I kind of feel like I gotta contradict myself there and go with you there. But but like you, that that's a big frame update. That's yeah. what I feel. Like it's it's a big enough frame update that it potentially warrants the the change. There's just a lot of nostalgia with that frame though, especially if you're a big fan of like Green Edge and Matt Heyman. Like that's a to me, that's like a legacy. That's a legacy frame. That's in the history books. If you could, for a month, two months, ride any bike in the current Pro Peloton, what would you ride? Oh, um, this is this is actually at the top of my list. The Scott Scott Foil is what you'd pick. Yep, 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 definitely. Okay, I got two picks. Mm-hmm. I would firstly pick the SL7 just so I can experience. There you go, the, kids. The wonders. I'm like, it better be freaking good. I better be blown away. So just the SL7 just for my own amusement. Yep. Um, and then I'd want to do a full the, a hyper, you know, aero bike. So between, ooh, foil or Madone? Oh, interesting. I think Madone. Mm. I, I think, okay. yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, Potentially I was... best bike in the peloton. Trek Madone. Okay. For me. I was I was foil or Bianchi. With the full oh, that's the other one. Yeah, yeah, with the full Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, oh. that was that's where I was headed. The new Yeah. Because there's been nothing on the new Bianchi just got released and then mm. it's just Everything radio silence. Yeah. yeah. So it's like what it's going it would on be here. interesting to ride it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So definitely. Well I, that brings up another thing. What happened to test riding mm. bike shops? When I got into cycling, test riding was a thing. You would go around to all your different shops and you'd ride the TCR and you'd ride the Specialized and you could you could compare them. It seems like test riding isn't a thing. doesn't no. happen anymore. No. They just they, – well, at least here, they don't carry the floor stock to do it. Like, to do it? They're yeah. not going to have a Trek Madone sitting around in Clarence Street for you to, you know, go cut some laps on. It's just not going But it's really weird because imagine buying a car and not test driving it. It's like the most important thing. If you're buying a car, you want to – how does the thing drive? Quick side note, the, the chat that I'm having here with the guy we were talking about, he's now trying to sell me a wheel set just, oh. to, just live. There's a live, there's a live transaction excess, trying to happen here. Excess stock at the, the local service course. stock trying to go here. No, no, I don't want your 808s just to, just to let you know. Jesse might be interested. Um, yeah, so test rides, test rides are dead, unfortunately. Which is a shame. I mean, yeah. how are you, aside from watching someone's view, what's the next, what's a be, slightly better thing? Actually ride them yourself mm-hmm. and see. And they don't do them anymore. Yeah. Crazy. My only thing, okay, didn't mean for this to go this way, but we've, we had this chat a little bit recently. Both of us have been playing around with tyres, right? A lot sort of 28s, 25s, 23s, all this kind of thing. And both of us have come to the conclusion that it is actually the most important integral feature of any first impression bike thing. So my example is on the, the Nero bike I rode, 25s at Grafton and when I came back uh, to Sydney I put 28s front and back it's a different bike Mm -hmm. it is a different bike like if you blindfolded me I would have and said Chris do a review on these two bikes that you'd just ridden it would have been a totally different review oh yeah fast nimble you know a bit of road bars like kind of hurt after a bit Oh, real! They've sorted out the compliance issues. There's far more stable ride. Blah blah blah. Just like a totally different bike. Mm-hmm. People have that. People have said this in reviews, and I I agree with you. And maybe I've been ignorant to it, but because I've changed tires so often recently, it's like a twenty psi difference in the tire is That's blindfold it. you. You could be on a different bike. Yep. And I never appreciated just how much difference that makes, and it almost makes the reviews in hindsight look like a total joke because totally. if you change the tires it changes totally everything about the bike totally agree the psi thing is so much more relevant with with tubeless as well because you can get away with such a low psi like you can't do that on a tube well, you can but you'll get a flat pretty quickly whereas if, if i drop down to sort of 55 it's a different riding experience to 70 completely mm. different riding experience yeah so, yeah anyway just just take that in Note when all these reviews sort of come out, I just think it's so relevant to tire pressure. Yeah, it really is. Tire pressure being a massive thing at the Giro at the moment, but we'll get to that. 
Scott Bikes, hot or not? Oh, that sounds lame. Just, yeah, Scott Bikes, what's what's going on? The foil, your thoughts, and if you could choose one pro peloton bike to ride for a couple of months, what would you choose? So we're going to talk kit, and to me, this comes back to the Shanghai Bike Show, China Cycling thing, is what happened? Why isn't kit discussed anymore? You're at that trade show. There's got to be hundreds of booths with different kit. Whereas no one really cares about kit that much. When I got into cycling in 2014, 2015, what kit you were wearing, not in terms of the look, but in terms of the performance, was a big was a big deal. And aerodynamically, you could argue it's just as important as any of the other stuff we've already talked about on this show. But it's kind of dead now. No one really cares. You know, it's a Rafa jersey or if it's an aero, no pins. It's like ugh, people have people have burnt out on kit. I think three potential things. Okay. First, we're we're just not in that bubble. Potentially, that is, yep. maybe, Good maybe. Point. always, always throw that one in. Yep. The second, have we just reached a threshold? Have we just reached a point where, yeah, we're 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 aero stuff. We're, Did, but we I, reached that with bikes, yeah. five years ago, and we've <laughs> still going. Yep. Option three. Yep. People are scared to talk about it. Oh. There we go. (laughs) This is is Chris's take on it. Because anytime, anytime anyone talks about kit, anytime we talk about kit, it is like a metronome. The first comment, don't fucking tell people what what to wear. You can't do that. Just go out and ride in whatever you want. Mm -hmm. That's that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying. I mean, it's, sometimes it is. <laughs> well, it, but it's even in, even if we are, it's tongue yeah. in cheek. Like it's not. Yeah. Of course, you can go out and bloody ride what you want. Who cares? But just even bring the topic up. So GCN yeah. did one with um, uh, they did one about like how to look pro, right? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny. It was a bit tongue in cheek. And I I watched it and I was like, right, I'm gonna have a look. What's the first comment? What is it? Hundred percent. First one. Can't tell people what to wear. Being a pro is about more than what you wear. I'm like, mm. that's not the point. So I kind of feel like it. it that's just slowly. It's like battered people over the head over years now that we're just like, you know what? We're not bringing this up anymore because mm. we're sick of it. We're sick of the chat. We're sick of the talk. But you could talk for days about wheels and no one says anything. No one says anything. Oh, ride whatever wheels you want. Yeah. Whereas kit. kit. Yeah, I'll yeah. give you points for that. That is a. Good point. It does matter. And like it annoys me because people like to look good. Like people go to work, they like to look nice. Like, and <laughs> there are magazines and channels and everything dedicated to helping people who want to try and look nice look nice. It's not a judgment on their ability to cycle or whether they can wear it or they can't wear it. it so it really shits me that that comment always, it, it gets under my skin <laughs> I can every tell. single time <laughs> because I, I do the same. Like I like to put gear on and go, you know, I'm going to have a bit of fun with this today. I'm going to try that jersey with this jersey and like whatever. And then I might turn up. You might be going, hey, you look like a dickhead. I'm like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> so it's, it is part of the, the thing of cycling for me. So, mm. um, yeah. But even for like aer- aerodynamics, we know kit makes a massive difference. Cool. But for comfort as well, mm. like the bib shorts difference in how are they cutting in on the hips? Are they, yeah. is the chamois off? It's, it makes a huge difference in terms of how comfortable you are on a three hour ride. Yeah. And it doesn't really get much. Why aren't we looking, you know, why isn't Joe showing the kit booths? At, yeah. Because no one probably cares. Yep. But they probably should care more. True. I think so. True. And um, my last little high pitched voice part about, about this is the other kind of thing is, oh, you know, oh, I turned up to this ride and I wasn't wearing the right kit and I didn't feel... You, you've kind of heard that sort of one. I think that's bullshit. I don't think that exists anymore. Maybe that's maybe that's an owl bubble thing. But honestly, if you turned up in whatever it was, no one really gives a shit at this point. You, if Whatever you feel comfortable in, you can get away with. But this whole thing of like, oh, I'm not... I've got to wear a certain brand to fit in with a certain riding group... I think total bullshit. Those days are gone. You okay? You could turn up wearing something that flaps about and all that kind of stuff and ride ride a bit like an idiot. And yeah, you will cop shit for that because you're riding like an idiot and you're flapping about and you're probably wasting energy. Like that's that's a thing. Mm. But 
oh, he's, did you see that map jersey that that guy's wearing? It's like he was trying to wear it with like yellow shorts. Oh, what an idiot. Like, no, like that's, that doesn't exist. Yeah. Yep. I'm just trying to think of when I was getting into cycling, did I have any, any, it's just that everyone in, well, at least in, this is probably a Sydney thing as well. But a lot of the time in Sydney, if you go and do, uh, let's say you go and do the chop on a Thursday, nine out of 10 people have really nice, expensive matching kit. So even though then people might not judge you for not having expensive kit, you feel out of place if you're rocking a, a cheap, not as nice looking kit. At least I would when I started. You kind of rock up and you're like, oh, I'm a feel a bit out of place here. Like everyone's in a $500 kit and it looks much nicer than mine. So even though people might not be going out of their way to exclude you, you can't help but feel like you don't fit that's in. That's a fair point. If you don't no, have the a, nice that's stuff. That's a really good point. That's a really, I mean, that gets into the whole... Yeah, well, that's a whole other, you know, into the mindset of, of cycling kind of thing. So, But then the whole point is is the answer to, you know, to sort of answer that one then. The answer isn't – the answer is then, well, how can you look nice without spending $500 on a Rafa kit? And there are ways to do it. And unless someone makes a video on it and points out the brands that you can get for cheaper, then you're not going to know. So – it all comes back to talking about kit. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. No, good point. No, yeah, really good point. Um, yeah. All right, so stuff that. I'm going to talk a little bit about kit. Yes. <laughs> you can wear whatever you want. I'll talk you into it. Yeah, talk me into it. Um, okay, so I want to ask you a question, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example first okay. up. All right? Case studies. So I love the look of laced shoes. I think they look sick. I, I see riders in them. I'm like, I want to, I want to do that. I want to be that guy. I want... It's like a, a, a unattainable thing for me. I want that. And I've bought laced shoes and I've ridden them and they just don't work for me, Jesse. I just can't do it. I can't pull it off. They're kind of annoying. They're kind of faffy. Put, a, put the practical side of it thing aside. I think I, when I wear laced shoes, they just look like school shoes and I'm <laughs> riding around on my sort of, yeah, I just hate the look of them on me. And then again, I see them on someone else. I'm like, Damn, that looks good. <laughs> it just doesn't work. So is there any equipment or gear that you've seen you want to run but you, you just can't pull it off? The technical tee I, I find fun. So technical tee is if maybe I'm doing a recovery ride or a shorter ride and I go on the gravel bike, I put the bar bag on and I just put my phone in there so I don't need my rear pockets for anything and then I'll run the old Nero technical Rafa tee. Flapping in the wind, feels cool, feels like kind of fun. But oh, I doesn't, just doesn't, doesn't work for you, man. No, I no. feel like such a dickhead in yeah. it. Like, why just wear a jersey? You feel like I'm trying to be cool. <laughs> like I'm wearing it for the vibe, and I enjoy it. But I feel like everyone's looking at me, going, "Oh, who do you think you are? Just wear a regular jersey. What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Maybe perfect. that's on me, though. Yeah, no, that's that's a perfect example of uh, yeah, have a piece of kit that you want to run, but it just doesn't work for you. Yeah, yeah totally agree. I mean. A kind of separate thing was like I did try briefly the sort of fixed gear thing, like I th when that was a when that was a thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I kind of thought, oh, yeah, that shit. looks cool. I can get around that yeah. fixed gear. I'm into yeah. that. I'm gonna wear skinny jeans and do all that. Oh, you tried it yeah, too. I, tried it. I did that too. So yeah. I had a single speed from yeah. um cell. A, it was a cell yep. or a read. Yep. Single speed when I was at uni, so I'd commute to uni on that. And I was committed to this damn thing, but, oh, it's so inefficient. Mm. I, I spent probably two years commuting on that thing, grinding up every hill, and it was just a bad idea. <laughs> I was like, why didn't I just ride a bike with gears? Oh, yeah. yeah I used to commute in, in Ireland on one, like it was a racer type thing. Uh, it started out with no brakes. Like okay. I went full head first. Did you actually have it set up as a fixed, fixed gear, gear or single speed? No, because I, I, mine was a fake. It was a single no, speed. Full fixed gear. Oh, wow. I was a full full death trap. <laughs> I've only been riding for like a year and I was suddenly like, I'm on a death trap now. Uh, I'm here to tell the story. So I didn't actually die. But yeah, like wet Dublin winter and there I am on a single speed with the like the skinny jeans. With nice. The, yeah. yeah, roll up the one on the yeah. chain side yeah. so it doesn't get greasy. Yeah, yeah that was... Yeah. Those are the days. Do they still exist? The single speed. The a bike messenger's dead now because now it's just Uber Eats people on e-bikes. You kind of stole my question there. Yeah. Oh. I was thinking about it the other day. Do bike messengers still exist? 
like that whole culture. Yeah, because now you just email. You don't even need to. They used to a lot of the time would be delivering like important documents yeah. around the city. Yeah, and now you just I don't know. email them. I don't know. Let us know. Are there any mic bike messengers in metro cities? Let us know. Do you do you still exist? That was one of the YouTube channels I used to really love watching. Is Lucas Brunel? Great yep. videos. Yeah, and now he he doesn't. I don't know. Doesn't upload as often. But it was he did well, really even like cool Casey stuff. Casey Neistat back in the day. Like he was he was. Like not a bike messenger, but rode around before his boosted board. He mm. was a single speed boy. Yeah, mm. batteries. The death batteries. of death yeah. of the bike. Uh, last little kit chat for you. Been a wet Giro so far. I always like that from a kit perspective, seeing what the pro teams are pulling out. Can I just say to Jaco Alula, your winter blue all blue kit, beautiful. Change your entire kit to that. Get rid of that other thing. Go the full blue, love it. Mm-hmm. That blue is magic. So I have a problem with win- well, that's another thing I can't wear is I have all these nice winter jackets and it gets a bit chilly and I jump the gun and I wear the stuff because I I think it looks really cool and I get twenty minutes into a ride I'm so hot mm. but it's just because I want to wear my nice winter gear so mm. that's probably the other thing I can't get away with. There's one yeah there's one piece of winter kit that I'd love to be able to run here. It's the insulated gilet. I think uh, Rafa do one, Rule 28 do one as well. It's like a it, – it's kind of a light version of what you're running there and I kind of like the idea of running. it. Yeah. I'm just wearing you're it. Just wearing I'm not it. running so, it. Yeah, running. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the kit What's your mindset. spec? Uh, what's your, what's your yeah. spec? Oh, Rafa T. Oh, yeah. What are you running? What, what's your down? Running rate? the cotton, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. Um, yeah, insulated gilet, I reckon this, it looks super cool but – it's just completely impractical. <laughs> like, well, how does that work? You start riding and you're like, now I'm a million degrees. Where I'll just take this off and put it in my pocket. Oh, no, it's a massive insulated gilet. I can't do anything <laughs> with this. So, Jacob at the Giro. Are we going on to Giro chat? Yeah, let's have some Giro chat. Oh, the, the, I don't really have much, especially after last week's. I mean, we called De Koenig Quick Step. No, freaking, I can't even get the names right. Quick Step. What's the other, what's the other sponsor? I only, I only just learnt Jayco Alula, so I'm just okay. I'm going one team oh, at a time. On, in our defense, okay, what is the name of that team? <laughs> Quick Step. What's the other um, Quick Step? Remco Evanpol yeah. is on a team, mm-hmm. and one word of the name is Quick Step. Mm-hmm. What is the other sponsor? Something about a door, maybe. I can't. I can't believe. I don't know. Quick Step. De Koenig? No. No, it's not De Koenig because right. De Koenig Quick moved. Step. Quick Step. Lotto. Lotto. Sudal Quickstep. No. Is it? It's Sudal Quickstep. Oh, okay. Wow. Just In our defense, can mm-hmm. we just explain what's happened here? Mm-hmm. You had Lotto Sudal. Last year you had Lotto Sudal. Mm-hmm. You had Matthew Vanderpool's team, which was Alperson Fenix. Alperson. Mm-hmm. And then you had De Koenig Quickstep. Mm-hmm. And now De Koenig went to Alperson. And now you've got Alperson De Koenig. Mm-hmm. And then Sudal mm-hmm. went to De Koenig mm-hmm. and became. Quick step, Sudal, Sudal quick step, and now Lotto is now. What's Lotto? Is now the Sudal, old Sudal team. Yep. Is that now called Destiny. Lotto Destiny. Is so it this, still Lotto? It, yes, it's uh, Lotto Destiny. Oh, different. Yep. Okay. Lotto DS yep. So you've basically had three teams do just a musical chairs yep. in our defense. Yep. <laughs> and we still can't remember yep. the name of the team. Yep. Sudal quick step. Um, For all your brass, b- bathroom upgrade needs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so that is in our defence. That was a long-winded defence. Yes. But Jesse, there's any... Uh, any <laughs> I think I've made it worse. <laughs> Shouldn't have gone there. Shouldn't have gone there. Uh, the only thing I pretty much got on the jury is the amount of crashes mm. that is happening is ruining the tour for me. It happens every Grand Tour. I... Struggling to follow the race when half the GC guys are crashed out. Is Remco... Okay, so last night's stage when we're recording this, Rembo c- crashed twice. He's got like a hematoma thing in his hip. Is that going to recover? Is that going to impede him? Probably. It's just what's the point of watching this stupid sport if half the people you're following crash? Yep. It's, I'm so over it. I don't even know what the point of me saying this is, but um, how can you crash less? Yeah, how can you crash less? Good point. Uh, lower your pride to tire pressure. That's my take at the moment. Is So I've heard this from two different sources with my uh, – yeah, two different sources that a lot of the teams tire pressure is a big thing. I, I actually do think it's starting to become a little bit more like F one that you're gonna get to a stage where oh we're gonna have to put the wets on, we're gonna have to put the the grippy tires on or something at least. And it's why they pushed that 
um, that stupid tyre pressure thing at uh, Roubaix, I think it was Roubaix, yeah, that tyre pressure makes such a massive difference in the wet in these races, like that they've got to sometimes basically drop 10, 15 PSI in this. Because some of those crashes, they're like, they're not even, they haven't even entered the corner and they're already on the ground. Like, are I they going faster? Are the tyres less grippy? I swear there wasn't this many crashes five years ago. Mm. Uh, disc brakes, mate. Do we have... Disc brakes lock up and you, mm. you slide out. Uh, I mean, I'm not even joking. Yeah, maybe. What the hell? Mm. Yeah, um, well, at least with carbon carbon wheels, you hit the brakes and nothing happened yeah. for 20 metres. <laughs> And you're like, are we so, going to? Are we? It could be. That could. I mean, that's like, a, yeah, that's yeah. Maybe because everyone had to start braking mm-hmm. 50 meters earlier because the brakes didn't work as yep. well. That's a you, potential thing. Now everyone's late braking and then sliding out. We should have saved that for unresearched facts. Yeah, mm. but like, I don't know what else to say other than it's. It's like I'm frustrated to the point where I almost don't care about the GC results anymore when half the people have crashed. Yep, and yep. it sucks. Unfortunately. That is uh, that is the case. Uh, quick update on Chris's Giro protocol. Yep. Um, so currently the, the protocol has developed and sort of moved into a new uh, style. So the current way is starting at 8.30 p.m. Australian time on GCN. Watching so the start. I will watch the start. The start's nice. been really good. Yeah. And I'll watch that solo. Kids, kids has gone upstairs at that point. Watch that solo. Probably get half an hour, you know, 40 minutes, something mm-hmm. like that. Might head up and read after that. Cut it off. That's it. Done. Got to see the start. Happy days. Now, I have progressed in the morning. We, we've gone with the, the original protocol, which was straight into a Lantern Rouge mm-hmm. podcast. So kids to school, etc. I will I will consume that. I'll consume the race essentially via the podcast at that point. New development. Mm-hmm. New development. In the evenings, um, most evenings so far, the 5.30 highlights package on SBS is being consumed by me and Catherine. So okay. it's the first time uh, we've watched any sort of cycling together and obviously the massive reference point here is is Jay. Jay was in our house earlier this year so it's a there he is, there he is type situation at the moment but questions are now being asked about like, oh, you know, why is he in that jersey What's this stage? Why is that guy so? so we're getting a little bit of information that way. So that's that's a new addition to the protocol. Okay, interesting. So the other thing I found there is the it's not geo blocked on GCN. I'm watching Correct. the stage live without a VPN. Yep. So uh, SBS didn't pay for exclusive rights. Right, that's a different. So they they would have had to pay more to to block out GCN. Do you think that should be legal? Here's a question. I pay for GCN. Uh, subscription, should it be legal for a broadcaster to pay for the rights for that so then I can't watch it here? I feel like that shouldn't be with intellect law. Like why should that you be able to not show something? So that's a whole – we should get Lantern on for that one. Okay. There's a whole chat there. It's about um, – so the, we in Australia have a – and this is why what happens with the tour is certain events are um, categorised that they have to appear on free-to-air television. So are important enough that they sort of are big enough, like the Olympics, things like this, and so they have to appear. They can't they can't be behind a paywall. And so there's, there's legislation right. in that respect, and I think that exists with the tour, things like the Soccer World Cup, things like that. So then that next tier of event, I'm not sure exactly how that works, whether it should be illegal, so you're you're complaining that you pay for GCN, therefore you should get access to everything GCN offers. Yes, I don't feel like I should be blocked out of a race just because SBS pay for exclusive rights to it. I don't think that should be a thing. It's a it's a two way thing though. Uh, I don't like really talking about something. One hundred percent no, but okay. like there's yeah. oh, well, there's there's other things. Welcome that to the Neuro GCN, Show. <laughs> GCN wouldn't. <laughs> Have pay so if you do you ever go on to GCN through the VPN, you'll get access to way more races. Right, and it's so easy to do with a VPN. It just seems so stupid. Like just, I feel like it's really old, like cable television spec. You know, Fox Telly. It's like it's the internet. Can we just? uh, SBS. Yeah, I mean, SBS pay for it. They want 
if it's ex- exclusive, they don't want it to be easy access. But you can access it anyway with a VPN. So, oh, last thing, uh, Chris's new favorite protein kit, Wanty Group Kabir. Man, like it, like the whole setup. So I'd leave that there. Uh, what? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? Yeah, I like it. Horizontal fluoro stripe on the sock. Oh, oh I didn't notice the sock. And it's not. It's intermarche, isn't it? Intermarche. Intermarche. Um, the cube, beautiful. The cube. Oh, that is the horrible kit. It. It's hideous. The me. socks too. What are you? No, why no, are you doing horizontal stripe on the sock? It's. it's if you're a right, if you're a writer on that team, reach out to me. Get me the kit. I'm on a, on a run. I'm gonna run. Hell, fantastic, beautiful. Nope. And, and the helmets. The helmets are ugly. Sorry, whoever that helmet manufacturer is, they're hideous. Actually, one last one for you, and it's a little bit of the protein kit chat. Okay. So we talked about this a while ago about like, is it okay to wear protein stuff? Blah blah blah. And we both agreed. Yeah, whatever. It's like wearing a soccer jersey, etc. I did did an event the other week, and a guy that I massively respect, like salt of the earth. This guy's done more for the sport than you and I will do in forty eight lifetimes. Right, crafty. And he he came over to me. and He's like, totally disagree with you about the protein thing. Hmm. Pro team kit is for pros. And he was like really passionate and it was a really compelling, passionate argument, which essentially comes back to this thing of you earn the jersey, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. But his his take is that in our sport you don't have – you don't play for a World Cup. You don't play for a medal. You don't get a – anything that really identifies your performance, okay, if you're in the team as such. You don't get to to lift the trophy. When it comes down to it, he said it is disrespectful. I I wanted to say that here because a lot of people kind of, I think when we talk about the protein kit, why not to wear it, is it people don't know that argument. People think it's like they don't wear it because it's not cool. Right, mm-hmm. that's not the reason that it's frowned upon. Okay, it's y- y- yeah. I don't for for a world tour athlete, for a professional athlete who's paid a salary to do a job, they don't have the right to be offended that someone's wearing their kit. You're you're paid. You're paid. You don't need the glory. You're paid. That's your job to ride a bike and do that. The the thing that gets me and to go down again is along that. I will take that sort of train of thought. And apply that to an Australian kit, Australian kit, and this is this one that gets me right. When athlete, when riders go and they'll do the Grand Fondo World Champs, and you're competing. Now, when you go to the Grand Fondo World Champs or the Masters Games or whatever it is, you're not getting selected as an Australian, as a part of an Australian national team. You're competing as an Australian. But there's no selection process as a part of an Australian team. So you should, in my opinion, you should not wear an Australian kit. And that's what they do when riders go to the Australian Grand Fondo. The Grand Fondo champs, they make their own Australian national team looking kit. And that's where I think it's disrespectful to an Australian team athlete. As someone who's been on an Australian representative team as a junior and went through a grueling process to get selected for that and that rowing suit I have is a point of pride for someone to come along and make a 50% time cut to go to the Grand Fondo. Fantastic. Go and do it. You don't deserve to wear an Australian team kit and it's disrespectful to everyone that's earned it. Team kit, different because you're getting paid to wear it. And if people want to go and buy it and support the team, different story. So it's a difference between professional salaried athlete and, you know, someone who's made an Australian team and, is doing it for the passion of it, essentially. Hot take. Love it. Absolutely love cool. it, Jesse. I love the fact that we potentially started this pod off by saying we're not going to talk about <laughs> kit because we're sick, we're sick of the response to it. Stuff it. We've just gone for it. You're not going to get that kind of chat anywhere else. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Nice work, mate. I will clarify, like, come back to crafty sort of point. Like, he's not saying that riders would be offended by it. I, I don't think that's his take. It's more that it is... It's part of the 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 thing to to look up to to for for people to try and achieve rather than you know so whoever the the 
world tour rider is looking down and going, how dare you wear that? I, I don't think that right. would be the attitude. I know that's not the attitude, certainly of the world tour riders that I've spoken to about it. It's far more about it main being like, and it's a, it's an awkward one because I know like yeah. the Australian Wallabies, like they really regard the jersey. You earn the jersey. Like that's the big part of being making that team. But at the same time, there's 50,000 people at the stadium wearing that jersey as well. So, yeah, it is it is a bit of a mm-hmm. – I just wanted to clarify that yeah. because yeah, yeah. some of the message I was getting about it is like, yeah, you tell him, Chris, like it's cool to wear it. I'm like it is, but here's the reason people don't do it. Fair enough. Yeah, potentially yeah. I've mis- yeah, yeah. conveyed what he said. But, yeah, yeah fair enough. Cool, cool. Yep. Two big ways to help the channel out, guys. The first is to subscribe to the channel. The second is to share this show on with your mates. That's a really, really important way for the channel to grow. Essentially, it comes down to views. We need views and to get more views, we need a wider audience. So that would be a huge step for us. We are going to keep churning out some great content. We will see you next week. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, Jesse Coyle. See you next time. See you soon. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.